I bet she could take two dicks, a man says to me about the restaurant waitress. I couldn't pay attention in that meeting because I was so distracted by your Tiffany blue nail polish. A senior colleague emails me after a work meeting. You're not going to cry, are you? A boss tells my female colleague after criticising her work in front of the entire office. You'd be prettier if you smiled. Heard no man ever. Yes, us too. We're so surprised that this is surprising, or news at all, but we're glad that it is. We are of course talking about the Me Too movement, which really gained momentum in response to allegations of sexual abuse against Hollywood mogul Harvey Weinstein, but it's rippled far past Hollywood to all sorts of industries. So why are we talking about it from Europe? Aside from the fact that it obviously happens here, and that in fact we've even seen recent allegations of sexual harassment in the European Parliament, it turns out that Europe's not the egalitarian utopia you might imagine. Germany had its own Me Too movement a few years back, but how did all that turn out? We're going to talk about our experience here versus mine in the United States and, and mine in Australia. Yeah, Rebecca's down under. And talk to somebody who really knows her shit here in Germany, the renowned German feminist journalist Chris Cover about how the laws dictating women's lives stack up in Europe compared to where we're from. Plus, we'll bring you the latest headlines on Germany's failed coalition talks, Catalonia's independence bid, and Poland's far-right march. Bringing you up to date. Stay tuned if you want to hear about that. So look, we wanted to open this episode um, because you sickos clicked on this with the hashtag us too. You want to know about our experience. What happened to us? What like horrible things that we had to put up with in our professional lives. God, um, it's so funny, you know, like when we were talking about it, trying to prepare for the show and I'm like trying to list things and I know it happens all the time. I cannot, okay, there are a couple of, yeah, things that probably happened to me, but I, I almost like don't even want to talk about them. And there are things that happen on a daily basis that you just forget about. You literally just kind of like push them to one side. They if have you have a, a healthy coping mechanism, you kind of push them out of the way and try not to dwell or is on it. it. Maybe it's unhealthy. Maybe <laughs> unhealthy that's why this run. is starting to come out, you know, like the, why the, cr the cracks are starting to, things are starting to seep through the cracks because it, it's not that healthy to just put up with this every day. I think that's definitely true. So what was it about Me Too that surprised you the most? Well, I think, like, I think personally the Me Too campaign kind of struck a chord with me because at some point I, I don't really join these social media campaigns. I think they're a bit bollocks, to be honest. But Ooh. I saw this and thought, hang on a minute. I suddenly thought about all of the times that this happens to me and I do just brush it under the carpet. And mm. I thought, wait a minute. Yeah, this isn't normal. This isn't right. It's not okay. It ha it's happening every single day in every corner of the world. Yeah, and to and your credit, I saw you posted something on Facebook with your own um, to join yeah, I mean, to join the chorus of voices. I don't ever really do, but I have to say, I just was kind of so surprised at my own um, naivety, I guess, like that I was completely like, hang on a minute, this is not okay. <laughs> I, said, I can't believe it takes some massive movement like this for people to go, well, yeah, wait, hang on a second. You mean hearing other women's experiences and voices has kind of put it in perspective for you that actually these things that you just consider to be a normal part of daily life are exactly. totally fucked up. I'm not going to say I've been like abused or anything like some of the stories we've heard from, you know, Harvey Weinstein or whatever. I'm not going that far, but just even at this day to day kind of mild. It takes a you toll. Know, yeah. When you're constantly. Uh, I, and what, but the surprising thing is that I, you know, you just, you accept it as okay. You accept it as part of life and you do sweep it under the carpet. The thing that surprised me the most was 
how surprised everybody is by this. And even a lot of our journalist colleagues here in Germany, who in theory might have you know, their fingers on the pulse a bit more about what's going on, kind of you know, educated, the intellectual types, the people that know that women face institutional barriers in the workplace, know that sexual harassment's a real thing. I had a lot of people say to me, my God, I had no idea how deep-seated this was and that so many women were facing it on a daily basis. Which I don't know what that says, that this actually comes as a surprise to them. And in that sense, I guess it's good that this is making headline news. As I said at the top of the show, to any woman, it's so, well, apparently, well, okay, it's apparently not obvious because it was a reckoning moment for you as well. But to be shocked to hear that your colleagues hear inappropriate things from other people that you work with, it makes sense because it's not like men are always doing it in front of other men. They find a private corner, they wait until you walk out of the meeting room, they send you an inappropriate text message after hours oh or an email. We've all hundreds. had- Yeah, we've all- Hundreds. <laughs> okay, that might be a slight exaggeration. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well here and um, there, I've had the odd email from someone with something completely inappropriate and kind of the hint that if I found this to be an inappropriate message to get in the workplace that we all just pretend it never happened and play it cool and don't be the psycho bitch who goes to HR and like rats you out. Yeah, exactly. Now, of course, this Me Too campaign is not the first, this has not come out of nowhere. This actually, it's a movement that started more than 10 years ago by a black woman in the United States. And she started the movement to help women who'd survived sexual violence, especially women of color. So it started out as a sort of black black women's movement in mm. a way, and it's been resurrected in the wake of this Harvey Weinstein scandal. <laughs> you could say I picked up without credit, which is usually <laughs> the way things go, sadly. Mm. But in any case, it got a lot of momentum um, after celebrities came forward to accuse him of sex crimes and even though i mean it's i don't know there's two ways to look at this in one way i think wow it's incredibly shocking in other ways i was so unsurprised i mean wow hollywood's full of rich powerful men who are trying to abuse their power like i'm not surprised by that and it was an open secret yeah exactly it was an open secret but i have to say there are the numbers are alarming. I'm actually, I, I am still appalled. Like he's had time to kind of, what's he doing? And he like, well, I mean, and that really tell, I think that sends a strong message in some ways to other women that it takes that kind of groundswell to actually bring someone like Harvey Weinstein down. It's not like one woman's report that some guy, you know, that some guy sexually assaulted you is even necessarily going to get him fired until you have a hundred other women saying the same thing. Exactly. And even Power then, in numbers. Yeah, but even then, another thing that's really surprised me about this case is the fact that it's successfully disgraced Harvey Weinstein, that, you know, academies have rejected him as a member and that it's having any repercussions. Because it's something you see so often, um, even with the election of President Donald Trump, you know, I think a lot of people thought after that tape came out where he said he was, he could grab women by the pussy yeah. and spoke openly about forcing himself on women, thought that would be the turning point, you know, surely Americans won't stand behind a commander in chief who advocates sexual violence, and lo and behold, he was elected. So if those voices weren't enough to disgrace him then, why is it now a year later in 2017 that we're seeing, seeing this uprising against an institution like Hollywood, which as you said, is notorious for having old it's men abusing. Couch. I mean, it's just yeah. such an old trope, but there you exactly. go. Hey, look at that. It's true. 
Um, I don't have an answer for that question, but please send me yours if you do. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're also going to talk about the the difference between women's rights here in Germany and, you know, a little bit in effect across Europe or Northern Europe at least. Um, in particular, there's this... Um, we found it quite surprising that there's this rape law in Germany, the no means no law, that only came into effect last year in the summer of 2016. Right, I remember when that came out. Yeah. Do you want to talk, break down like what this... <laughs> what this was. No means no sounds pretty straightforward. It's if you say no, then somebody should not be allowed to have sex with you. And if they do, then you can obviously, of course... Then they uh, can be charged with a crime. Hmm. Right. But in Germany, that wasn't the case until this last summer. It used to be, until they put this on the books, that you would have to have showed physical evidence of having fought back, like scratch marks on the man, like really hard evidence showing that you fought for your life. It's pretty outrageous. I was pretty shocked to hear that that had only came into effect last year, I gotta say. In any case, they've done it now, so... Yeah. So now it's great. Now Cheers you just say Germany. no and it doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about some of the other things in Europe. Um, things, issues that really affect women that really are a lot better in Germany than they are in the United States. You hear these rumors about endless maternity leave. How much of that is real? We're going to talk to somebody who can give us some answers. Uh, Chris Cover is a friend of mine. She's the founder of Missy Magazine, which is a feminist women's magazine in Germany that covers not just politics, but also pop culture, fashion, things that pertain to daily life from a feminist point of view. And right now she's a senior editor at Wired, Germany, and on materni maternity leave taking care of two twins. We stopped by to have a chat with her and ask her what is, what's the deal with women's rights in Germany? Hi, Chris. Thanks so much for chatting to us today. Hey, thanks for being here. You told me earlier that Germany actually had its own equivalent almost four years ago. Could you tell us about that? What, was, what were the Germans doing four years ago that parallels what we're seeing today? Yeah, so hashtag Aufschrei was a really interesting phenomenon. It marked the debate about sexism that we had in Germany. It was early in 2013 and there had been a couple of articles written by female journalists about sexual harassment um, experiences that they've had in, in the workplace. So one of them was Annette Meyritz, a female journalist at Spiegel Online at the time who was covering the Pirate Party and she wrote a very influential article about sexism in, within the Pirate Party and the way that she was treated while she was you know, professionally researching. They started spreading laws that she was having affairs with the people she met with who were her informants. You know, who they she were was interviewing. She was sleeping with people for information. Yes. Wow. But then what really happened and where Aufschrei started was, uh, Aufschrei was a Twitter, a hashtag, it became a Twitter phenomenon. Feminist activists on Twitter started talking about their own experiences with sexual harassment. Uh, based on, on these articles. And then Anne Witzelreck, uh, a feminist activist, suggested, well, we should start using a hashtag um, to collect these experiences. I'm suggesting Aufschrei. And within a couple of days, thousands and thousands of women started sharing. Just, it just came pouring out and tweeting about their experiences to the point where it became 
so such a huge thing that it actually was the first hashtag that had made it from being a Twitter and an online phenomenon to mainstream primetime German talk shows. So a couple of days oh, so it later, it did make it into the headlines and the news. Very Twitter, much so. Center of the debate. So really parallel with the Me Too. I mean, exactly what's happening now, just four years ago, basically, yeah. and in Germany. So, well, the what's. The difference is that it wasn't, I mean, it came from a political setting maybe, and then it was very much about everyday sexism. So Aufschrei had a lot to do with experiences of everyday sexism, also sexual harassment, but also really just, you know, sexist comments in the workplace, um, on the subway, on the way home, catcalling, cat all, kind of, all yeah. that. So what happened after this hashtag made it into the national headlines? Because right now it feels like there's real momentum behind people coming out and sharing their experiences. But I think the big question is, what happens next? Does this actually get us anywhere or move things forward? Did we see changes after Aufschrei in Germany? Yeah, that's really the big question now. And I guess there's two ways to look at this. There's There are people who are being more maybe more pessimistic and claiming, okay, why is this? It seems like the discussion is repeating around the same questions. We've already had these discussions four years ago. Nothing really changed. Um, now we're talking about this again with Me Too. I would say that we did see some change. I think most importantly, what what Aufschrei achieved was it really marked the beginning of a discussion, a more recent discussion around sexism in Germany. So coming from you know a feminist background and having worked as a feminist journalist for for years before Aufschrei, I would I, we were very careful with using the term sexism. I would say it wasn't. It was really. It really felt like you know feminism is already a lot you know for people to deal with, right. and let's not bring out the big guns. You know, and even in the days around Aufschrei in the talk shows, there was still there was a lot of discussion about if we do have a problem with sexism in Germany. Really? Not yes. how do we fix it, no. but does it actually exist to begin with? Exactly. It was. It was a discussion of is this a problem. So I feel like we've moved past that. Now there is the general, it's kind of like a given that we do have a problem with sexism and now it's about how and what do we do about it and all that. So for those listening at home, Chris is a new mother. She's just had twin girls and she's currently on maternity leave from Twin Wyoming. girls, more girls. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> doing the right feminist thing exactly. <laughs> unintentionally. Um, but one of the things that I think shocks most of my friends at home is how generous the maternity laws are in Germany compared to what we get in the United States, where people are often back to work within weeks of having given birth, where, I mean, you're still not physically recovered from having had the children and you're already back in your office chair or standing on your feet doing your job. And not through choice. Yeah, it's right. It's not because you think, oh, my job is so fantastic and important to me and I want to go back to work and my husband maybe stays at home and looks after the kids. It's generally not through choice. I think the US is the only developed democracy where there isn't a legally mandated uh, maternity leave. Yeah, so looking at the US from a German perspective, it does seem really crazy that, you know, there isn't any paid maternity leave at all. We're just um, by now quite used to the situation here where you do get um, a large percentage of your income for up to 14 months. More than a year. Yes. More than a year of maternity leave. Let that sink in, friends listening at home. <laughs> I remember when you were telling me about being on maternity leave the first time, you were describing the, you had the German word for the person who was taking over your job at Wired while you were taking 
the break. What's, what's that person in German called? Elternzeitvertretung. Right, and you asked me what the translation was in English, and I was like, I don't think we have a designated role for the person who steps in for your year-long maternity leave. You just kind of like push it off on your colleagues, and you're like, I'm back in three weeks, guys. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But I, I mean, in Australia, we certainly have something like maternity backfill, for instance. Yeah, yeah. it's called yeah. a maternity backfill contract, but it doesn't have, you don't have a specific title. Yeah. We still generally have less acceptance of fathers taking this time out so there's this cultural expectation which is another level of, of things that we're talking about right now cultural expectations is mothers will take more time out to look after their small babies and fathers, quite a lot of time out right there's this whole idea of the raven mother, is that what it's called in Germany? Yes. It's like a derogatory term for women who go back to work um, too early because they're not home to they're neglecting their They're child. neglecting their neglecting household their duties. duties and their... Yeah, yeah so generally... The raising of their children. There's, um, there's a really interesting concept of, or there's a very idealized concept of motherhood in Germany that is quite unique also in Europe when you compare it to France or to other countries around us. And it has a lot to do with the way that motherhood was treated in uh, Western, in former Western Germany before the reunification, where it was really generally not very accepted to even have childcare under the age of three. So it was just generally You're assumed... You expected to be there the whole time. Yes, the, the mothers woman. were, and it was also considered a status thing, you know, that it's like if you don't have to work because your partner earns enough money, mm -hmm. then you get to stay home to look after your kids. This is also obviously like a more bourgeois thing because a lot of working class mothers never had the luxury to, you know, sure. not work for three to six years to look after the children or not work at all. We want to talk also about women in positions of power because I think it's central to this conversation about sexual violence um, and harassment in the workplace in particular. And you look at Germany, it's a Western democracy run by Angela Merkel, who's the face of um, European politics in many ways. She's a strong woman. You see her often as the only female leader in these you know, official photographs with the other heads of state from around the world. And so it's easy to look at that and think, oh, Germany's totally progressive on this issue. They, you know, we've still never had a female president in the United States, but look at Merkel, she's been doing it for as long as anyone can remember. <laughs> but is that actually, I mean, would you say politics are fair and equal and everything's hunky-dory in feminist movement? No, I mean, a good example right now, we just need to look at the percentage of women who are sitting in the the current German Bundestag right now after the elections. Yes. So um, I think it was before the elections, it was 37% women. Now I think we're down to 31% women. And why do you think that is? It's because political party structures, just like the same that we see in, in the media, the same that we see in, uh, in business and in really most other parts of life are dominated by men. And that is still very much the case in Germany as well. So I want to just, to wrap this up, I want to just take this back to the Me Too movement and ask you why you think this is suddenly making news in 2017. Uh, I don't think it's sudden at all. 
actually. I think it's been, uh, there has been a build-up in everything that we've been talking about so far, in, including Aufschrei, but also other um, discussions that were going on in the US. Why is it that a year ago when Donald Trump was being accused of these things, was there not such a big outcry like there has been with Harvey Weinstein? I feel like there has been a big outcry. The problem was just that that Donald Trump's voter base wasn't interested in that outcry at all. So I think the outcry was definitely there. I mean, uh, a lot of people were sure that that was it. You know, that Trump would definitely not get elected that would after be his downfall and after that tape. That where much he said he'd bigger grab a woman by the pussy and you can do what exactly. He liked. And that much bigger was the shock to have. You know, also internationally, I find to. That, that a man who would say things like grab him by the pussy and basically advocate advocate uh, sexual harassment and overstepping uh, personal borders would could still become uh, be elected president. So I think the outcry was there, but the question is why uh, why now with Weinstein? And I do think that a lot of things have been leading up to it, including the whole discussion we had around Trump, and that there is generally more of, a, of an awareness amongst women nowadays that sexual harassment is something that is happening to them that is not okay. I think if we look at sexual harassment and the experiences when you're talking to women, as I've also done as a journalist for, for a very long time, um, there's generally a lot of shame around it and there's always this very strong, still this very strong idea is, is it something I did? I wasn't careful enough. I was naive. I should have I wore that better. skirt, I wore that sexy outfit. Why did I even step into that yeah. room? So we are taught, and I think a lot of women are really have internalized this very deeply, that we're questioning ourselves. So, and with the discussions right now, the shift that we've been seeing is that more more women, especially younger women, do know that this behavior is not okay, that they've started fighting back, and they're, um, they're actually speaking out about this. That being able to speak about it collectively has helped alleviate these feelings of guilt that have stopped people from speaking out in the first place and realizing that it's not particular to their situation and that nothing's going to change if they don't actually take a stand against it. Yeah, I think it's that. Well, one is the feeling of guilt. The other thing is that, you know, based on how um, these allegations are treated, usually women have a very good right to believe that they're not going to be believed when they come forward with this kind of, um, with this kind of stuff. So the, you kind of expect that if you're going to say something, and it's, it's not enough to be one woman stepping forward saying, speaking up against a powerful man. And as we see, I mean, I'm, I'm saying women right now, but as we see, it's not only women. Actually, it's a question of power. You know, if you're, think what Weinstein has shown that even though it's in a very glamorous Hollywood setting, what applies to a lot of other settings um, where we have male-dominated structures is that it's a case where women are or people have been dependent on someone on a man who is very powerful and some men are also dependent on other men who are very powerful it's still mostly women because of the structures that we have that are very male dominated so I think it's all about male dominance and as long as we're going to have male dominated structures um, this kind of stuff is going to 
keep happening because it has a lot to do with it has nothing to do with sexuality we know that mm -hmm. sexual harassment and 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 sexual violence doesn't really have much to do with sexuality it has to do a lot with power and executing power over another person do you think there'll be a backlash to this campaign i mean you you, you can sort of teetering on the edge you can almost see it happening people saying yeah but you know what we're not allowed to do this we're not allowed. do you see a backlash coming I think there's always a backlash. We always say, I mean, it, it always moves in waves, or I would say it's kind of like a dance, like a waltz. You always move two steps forward, one step back, and then it keeps moving. I mean, if we look at it historically, it has always been like that. The backlash cycles have perhaps become shorter now because, because I think um, stuff is speeding up with online culture. So we do have definitely the way that, you know, Me Too was perceived, how quickly it moved. It was perceived also in Germany. It became, it, it, it spiraled into this global discussion. I don't think we could have had that 20 years ago. Absolutely not, it picked up steam so quickly. Yeah, so, but there, there will definitely be a backlash. I don't think it's a problem in general. I, I feel very, um, I generally do feel encouraged by by a backlash against feminist ideas because it shows that it works and we're moving forward because to me the backlash You're is, hitting them where it hurts yeah, and where yeah, things need to change. We always say it's kind of like elderly white men, you know, trying to cling on to what's theirs and the last scraps of power. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Outraged about this. I don't want to play it down. I do find um, there there are certain tendencies that are dangerous. Right now we do have a lot of discussion about um, uh, or the way that that the the far right parties are trying to spin this is yes, women's rights, Germany is is great about women's rights, and we do respect our women, but all these um, Muslim refugees coming into our countries, the reason we need to keep them out is because they do not respect our women and right. they do not respect their women. So all of a sudden, I think the, it's, there's a really dangerous tendency to instrumentalize feminist ideas, and that it's very important that we as feminists um, fight, fight back. Chris, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. We really appreciate your insight. Yeah, it was great talking to you guys. So you hear how women's rights are even often weaponized in German politics as a way to make the case that refugees or immigrants from Muslim-majority countries couldn't possibly fit into German society because we here are egalitarian, we respect women, and those people are harassers and sexual abusers and have a different idea of how women should be treated. Yeah, it's pretty alarming that treated. German society, or there's this image in German society that sexism or sexual abuse against women is not a German problem, but an imported one. Right. And the other interesting thing I think that, you know, she was talking about was this fear of the backlash and the cyclical way in which... Um, Two steps forward, one step back. Exactly, the kind of that dance effect, which I thought was a really nice analogy. Is it a sort of, you're starting to see and hear certain, you know, backlash amongst certain members of the community, certain parts of the community. I'm certainly seeing it a, a little bit on Facebook. I'm not really amongst my friends. Who did we just see? Morrissey or someone came out in, in support of Kevin Spacey? <laughs> the world is a weird place in 2017. Defending Harvey Weinstein as well, saying, mm. oh, you know, these women know that what they're getting themselves into. Yeah. So you kind of are starting to see this sort of, which I, I was worried might happen. It's like people start to go, yeah, but you know, women want to be flirted with, you know, what 
happens if a woman likes it? If she likes you, she's not going to see it as sexual harassment. She's going to see it as flirting, you know? I do think the worst is still to come with that because all it will take is one false accusation and the whole thing will blow up. Men will say, look, these hysterical women pointing fingers, they're all making it up. Um, and I don't know if it... I, and I also think having talked to many men about how they're viewing this conversation, many are so nervous that the things that they've done in the past qualify as sexual harassment, and maybe they should be. That, I don't think it's a bad thing that men are looking that, at their behavior. Right. I mean, they might be really decent guys. It's not saying that all men are bastards. No, I think, effect, it's, but I I think, think it's, it's a wonderful thing, but I think the effect could also potentially be that women stop getting invited out to drinks after work, that they're less included, that men are so scared of misstepping that they might try and push women outside of the circle. Well, Do you I think, think so? that would be a really sad Outcome. Outcome. Let's yeah. hope it doesn't go that way. Anyway, should we move along to some other news? Should we keep you up to date with some other stuff? <laughs> sure, let's talk about what's happening here in Germany and the coalition talks. Oh, God. <laughs> My friends visiting from the US, we were on the U-Bahn and there was a little short news item about the German coalition talks on the U-Bahn. And, they were like, the what? well, I was laughing about it and then I didn't even know whether to translate it for her because I was like, this is so boring. <laughs> and I have to give you so much background that maybe I'll just skip it. But look, Germany has done it again in terms of having something really boring turn into something really exciting because after weeks of Angela Merkel's um, exploratory talks to see if she can form a coalition after September's elections, suddenly they've come out with a shock announcement that one of the parties is walking out of the talks. Um, they'd been trying to secure a deal for the so-called Jamaica coalition between the FDP, uh, Merkel's conservatives, and the, the Greens. Greens, and their party colors make up the color of the Jamaican flag. So the FDP's walked out, and that's thrown Merkel's future into doubt. Um, we don't know if Germany's going to call new elections, if she's going to have to form a minority government. Any, in any case, it means that there's going to be a long period of instability where they try and hash this out. I've just seen a news flash from um, the national international broadcaster here, Deutsche Welle, saying that um, Merkel has said she would rather have fresh elections than have a minority government. Interesting. So we could be doing it all over again. <laughs> Stay tuned for more. Are you, ready? Are you guys ready for election night round two? <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> What else is going on? Well, of course, we've got Catalonia bubbling along. It's a bit of a hiatus at the moment, but former leader Carlos Puigdemont's extradition trial has been postponed until December. So he's still in Brussels waiting for the Belgian court to decide his fate. We'll check on it when it happens. And Poland's Independence Day was marked by a massive far-right extremist protest where some 60,000 people marched through the capital, many chanting, carrying banners with slogans like White Europe. That is quite terrifying. And let us know what other stories you want us to cover. We've got some ideas in the pipeline, some things we're working on, but if there's an issue or a country or a phenomenon or anything you want to hear about that's European that we could offer our deep insight and wisdom We're looking into on. doing a few couple of travel episodes, so we're going to actually do some in-situ episodes where we take you to the heart of the places that we're talking about. If you have a lot of money and really like us. <laughs> <laughs> and have Please. a really exotic, fabulous destination that you want us to report from. Europetoday at gmail.com. We'll take PayPal, credit card, whatever. <laughs> Plug whatever you your got. brand, whatever it is. Anyway, in case you missed it, we're now also in the iTunes store. 
Just search for Europe to date. Please, please subscribe, leave us a five star review, and tell your friends so they can find out about us. Yeah, you can, of course, still keep up to date on our website at europetodate.com. Follow us on SoundCloud, Facebook, and of course on Twitter at Europe to Date. That's Europe like the continent, E U R O P E. And that's I all if for that's today. that's going to get old, that joke. Do you think you're going to have to stop doing that soon? <laughs> Not a joke, it's facts that people need to subscribe. <laughs> Anyway, that's enough. That's enough for today. I'm Claire Richardson. I'm Rebecca Ritters. Until, Until next, next time. time.